Let's turn tonight to the book of Romans, please. The eighth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. This is a remarkable chapter, remarkable portion of God's Word. And you could spend a lot of time studying each verse and each phrase and each line within this chapter. And we're going to break in to the chapter, the midway point, verse number 16. So Romans chapter 8, reading from verse 16 down to verse 28. Let's read and consider God's word together. Let's read it prayerfully and carefully and think about these great words. Romans 8 and verse number 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And we'll just end at verse 28, the reading of God's precious word. Andrew Murray was a very popular South African preacher, who focused a lot on the subject of prayer, the Spirit-filled life, abiding in Christ, the fullness of the Spirit, and holiness of life. And one of his most well-known books is a volume entitled, With Christ in the School of Prayer. And the School of Prayer is a school that we never graduate from this side of eternity. We are always and ever learning. The more we pray and the further we venture on with God and the closer we get to the Lord, we 
soon begin to realize that there is so much more that we do not know about the Lord. The more we know of Him, the more we discover that there is always so, so, so much more. We are ever learning if we are praying in the school of prayer. And it's a school, as we say, that we never graduate from this side of eternity. And sadly, many professing believers never seem to enroll in the school of prayer either. And yet it's a wonderful thing to be able to seek the face of our God, to spend time at the throne of grace and to sit at the Lord's feet and to cast all of our burdens and cares upon Him, to worship Him, to confess our need, to ask for cleansing, to pray for others, to worship Him, to thank Him for all that He has done and to seek His face in real prayer. And the more we live the Christian life, the more we realize just how little we really know of real prayer. And even the mighty apostle Paul himself had to acknowledge this truth. And here in Romans chapter 8, he says in verse number 26, in the middle of the text, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. The apostle Paul This great theologian, great preacher, missionary, church planter, one of the great Christians, says, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And it's no wonder if Paul said this, that he also said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul ever seemed to be in a pursuit to get to know his God and his Savior in a deeper and in a fuller way. And while Paul makes this acknowledgement, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, he's also telling us here that we at the same time have a wonderful counselor and a wonderful guide and a wonderful teacher whenever it comes to prayer in the person of the Holy Spirit. It also says in verse 26, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. And the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. As we come tonight to consider another aspect of approaching the throne of God, approaching the throne of grace and prayer, we're thinking tonight about the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer. And we're just going to really limit it to these verses this evening. Verse 26 and 27 of Romans chapter 8. Now, Jude did speak about prayer in the Holy Ghost. And if we really want to pray tonight and learn how to pray and know liberty in prayer and know that we're praying according to the will of God and really press into the presence of God and approach with boldness the throne of grace and receive blessing, it is important to recognize and we'll never be able to recognize it completely. We'll only ever be able to scratch the surface even something of the rule of the Holy Spirit whenever it comes to the prayers of the saints, the prayers of God's people. And I want you just to consider these two verses this evening, Romans 8, 26 and 27. And there are three things that I want you to consider in these verses. The first part of verse 26 introduces us to our problems whenever it comes to prayer, our problems with supplication. How many of us tonight could put up our hands and confess, I do not find prayer all that easy? Whenever you really give yourself to prayer and intend to spend quality time with God, 
before his throne praying for others and praying for missionaries and praying for souls and praying for your own growth and grace and spiritual development. We have to acknowledge that real, earnest, sincere praying is difficult. I think it's safe to say tonight that no Christian finds prayer easy all of the time. There are times whenever we're not motivated to pray. There are times whenever we get distracted in prayer. There are times whenever our faith is very small. There are times whenever our minds get distracted. And prayer, real prayer, presents many challenges. There are many problems with regards to prayer, not on God's part, but on ours. And here in our text tonight, the Apostle Paul highlights two specific problems with regards to prayer. First of all, there's the problem of infirmity. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. And the word infirmity there simply means weakness or frailty. Paul is speaking in this verse especially with regards to prayer, and therefore he is acknowledging that whenever we come to prayer, we are very weak, and we are very frail, and there's this great problem of infirmity. It says that the Spirit helpeth our infirmity, and in the text that we've been really hanging our hat on over these last number of months as we're thinking about approaching the throne of grace, it reminds us in Hebrews chapter 4, 15, that our great high priest is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus knows our weaknesses. Our Lord Jesus Christ knows our frailty. He knows our infirmities, and he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's moved with compassion. He's sympathetic. He's benevolent. He's tender. He doesn't look at his people whenever we pray and we acknowledge our weakness or our infirmities. He doesn't chastise us. He doesn't bear anger upon us. He is sympathetic towards us. He remembers our frame and he knoweth that we are dust. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And here we read in Romans 8 that the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our weaknesses and our frailties. Now, there are many infirmities there. The word infirmities, you'll notice very clearly that it's in the plural. It's not just that we have one infirmity. Sometimes we could be of the mindset, well, there's just one thing that I'm bothered with as a Christian. There's just one thing that I struggle with, and if I could deal with this one thing, I would really have it made, but you know, we're, we're like onions, and we're just layer upon layer, and whenever you think you've dealt with one thing, you discover that underneath that, there's something else, and there's something else, and there's something else. And Paul is acknowledging here that we have many infirmities, and we could generalize them and say that mentally, whenever it comes to prayer, we certainly have infirmities. There are things that we just do not understand about ourselves. There are many things that we do not understand about the circumstances or the people that we are praying for. And there are certainly many, many things that we do not understand about our God. God has revealed Himself in His Word. And I'm sure there are many things outside of the Word of God that are true, and we could never understand those things. And even many things that are revealed in the Word we find very difficult to understand. There are things that we just cannot work out 
or make sense of even simple things sometimes. And as the Lord washed the feet of his disciples, Peter couldn't make any sense of it at all. And John 13 there, and it's a beautiful scene, the Lord taking a, a towel and girding himself in the basin of water and kneeling and washing the feet of his disciples. Meekness and majesty. And then Peter said, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Or Lord, what are you doing? Why are you washing my feet? He couldn't work it out in his mind. And there are certain things that we need to understand theologically, doctrinally, mentally and intellectually. And then there are many other things that we cannot work out with our minds and with our intellect. And the Lord said to Peter, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Do you ever have to confess whenever you come before the Lord in prayer? And as you're praying, you have to acknowledge, Lord, I don't really understand what I'm praying about here. I can't understand why this has happened. I can't understand uh, what you're doing. I just can't work it out. It's not a problem in God's part. It's our problem of infirmity, our infirmity mentally. And then there's also, of course, our infirmities emotionally. Sometimes we find it very difficult to develop or express our emotions, especially in prayer. Sometimes we don't feel as joyful as we ought to feel. Sometimes we don't feel as content as we ought to feel. Sometimes we find it difficult to express our love towards God, or we don't maybe feel, as we think it, enough sorrow for our sins. And that's just emotional infirmity. And I think every true child of God maybe does struggle a lot with their lack of love for the Savior. He is altogether lovely. Lord, Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love Thee. But if we're honest, our love for the Lord is very small. And we do not love Him as we ought. It's infirmity. It's our weakness. Just because we're saved doesn't mean all of a sudden that we're, we've arrived and we're as spiritual and as holy and as strong as we can be. Paul here has been on the road for quite some time as a believer and he's acknowledging he still has infirmities, mentally perhaps, emotionally perhaps. What about physically? Did you ever set yourself to pray and say, I'm going to set quality time aside with God. I'm going to spend half an hour in prayer. I'm going to go through this prayer list. And as soon as your head is bowed, after two or three minutes, you all of a sudden feel very tired. Now, if you went out to do something other than pray, you probably wouldn't feel as tired. But there's something about the flesh and these bodies of ours whenever we set ourselves to do what is maybe the most spiritual exercise a child of God can be engaged in, approaching the throne of grace, opening our hearts to God, crying on to God, endeavoring to pray faithfully and effectually and fervently, all of a sudden our minds begin to wander, all of a sudden our eyes get heavy, we find ourselves drifting off, into some other place, and we just have to acknowledge our physical infirmities. As a young Christian, I remember attending a meeting that Ivan Thompson was speaking at, and he said he'd only been saved a number of months, and he was really enthusiastic, and 
He heard about an early morning prayer meeting that was on in his local assembly. And he, he thought, well, all those fellas are old fellas. I'm a young convert now. And I'll go along and I'll, I'll show these old men how to really pray. And so he met with these men in their 70s perhaps. And they were praying. And the hall was heated with a little super sir heater. And Ivan Thompson, he prayed for about two or three minutes and then ran out of steam. And he says, the next thing I remember was this big man elbowing me in the ribs and said, son, you better go home because your snoring's disturbing the meeting. And how many of us can identify with our physical infirmities whenever it comes to prayer? Peter boasted that he would lay down his life for the Savior. And whenever the Lord took Peter, James, and John into the depths of the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Lord fell on his face and prayed, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. There had never, I believe, been a prayer vigil quite like the prayer vigil the night before the Lord went to the cross. And it's remarkable that most of the disciples didn't even go into the garden. And the three that did go into the garden, all three of them fell asleep. And whenever the Lord came and found them sleeping, do you remember what he said? What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? And I don't believe the Lord was heavily rebuking them and saying, you know, you should be able to pray for at least an hour. I believe the Lord was highlighting their infirmities, telling them that they had still so much to learn and they were weak. It would be like me joining an athlete and trying to run a marathon. And telling him I'm going to keep up with him. And after about 500 meters, me puffing and blowing like a wheel. And him saying, could you, not, could you not run with me for even just one mile? And whenever you're with the master in prayer, you realize that it's very difficult to watch even for one hour. It's our infirmities, you see. They might be mental. They might be emotional. They might be physical. But certainly our infirmities are definitely spiritual. Herein lies our greatest weakness in the spiritual realm. We often have to confess that we are really unable to pray and sometimes we feel unworthy to pray. And whenever we come into the throne room of grace and we meet maybe with other believers for prayer and you're really endeavoring to pray and you want to pray, all of a sudden you hear the accuser roar of ills that you have done or your conscience is pricked, or your conscience is troubled, and a little voice whispers into your ear, now who are you to pray? Look at, the, look at the thoughts you have had today. Look at how you feel, and how, how far short you've fallen, and how, how carnal you are at times, and you're going to pray? Paul is acknowledging here his infirmities. What about our doubts? You ever come before the Lord and wonder, well, does God really answer prayer? And if God is sovereign and God is a plan and a purpose, what impact are my prayers going to have on that? And we can struggle with unbelief and we can struggle with doubts and we can struggle with coldness of heart and we can struggle with a lack of faith. And one of the problems is that whenever we feel like that, we have the idea that nobody else feels like this. Everybody else in the prayer meeting is filled with faith. Every other Christian I meet doesn't struggle with doubts. Nobody else seems to lack assurance the way I do. 
Nobody else has the carnal, sinful, wicked thoughts that I have. Everybody else has got it together, but, but here's me, and I've got all of these spiritual problems. Infirmities. It's a big problem whenever it comes to prayer, the problem of infirmity. But Paul highlights here another problem with regards to prayer, and it's the problem of ignorance. Infirmity in one hand, ignorance on the other, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Now this is the Apostle Paul. I'm so thankful that the Word of God paints people as Henry VIII, whenever he was being painted once, and it was the custom in those days to sort of paint people in a, a good light, maybe a little bit thinner than they really were, with less wrinkles than they really had, with no warts and no blemishes. And Henry VIII just said to somebody once, paint me warts and all. Do you ever hear that statement, warts and all? Well, the Word of God shows God's people just as they really are. You read about Gideon, Gideon the doubts. Peter made denials, Thomas had doubts. And even the Apostle Paul is acknowledging here, I have got infirmities. And whenever I come to pray, I know not what I should pray for as I ought. He's saying, I should know better. But even if I did know better, I still would never be able in and of myself, left to my own devices, know what to pray for as I should. And this is Paul, the great theologian. And if the apostle Paul confessed the problem of infirmity and the problem of ignorance, how much more should we confess before God our ignorance with regards to prayer? I think if we're honest tonight, we would have to confess ignorance regarding his will. There are certain things that are clearly revealed in the Bible in God's Word as being God's will for every single Christian. And therefore, we do not have to pray about those things, whether or not it is God's plan for us to do them. There are certain things that God would have His people to do, and there are certain things that God would have His people to abstain from. And if it's a Bible commandment and it's revealed in the Word of God, that is God's will and that is God's plan for us. But then there are other things that are maybe not so clearly or plainly revealed in Scripture. Maybe an opportunity comes up in the workplace for promotion, and you wonder, should I apply for this? Should I go down this road? Or maybe it's a relationship. Should I enter into a friendship or a relationship with this individual? What about the work of God in my life? Would it be the Lord's will for me to get involved in this aspect of God's work or some other aspect of God's work? And you're not going to get a verse in the Bible that calls you by name and say, I want you to join the outreach team or I want you to join the, the Sunday school or the, the children's work or I, I want you to just get involved in some other aspect of God's work or I want you to marry such an individual or I want you to remain single or I, I want you to go to Timbuktu or some other place. There are things that are not clearly revealed in the Word of God for our lives, but there are principles that we employ. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong unto the Lord. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children. But the psalmist went on to say that the secret of the Lord 
is with them that fear him. And sometimes, if we're honest, we find it difficult to get the mind and the will of God on a given matter. Sometimes people boast so flippantly. God said, and God has told me. I just wonder sometimes, I know that God challenges us and prompts us and speaks to us through his word. But sometimes people can be very, very flippant when they talk about God saying and God telling and God revealing. And it just seems to run off the, the tongue so easily. Paul says, I'm not sure always of how to pray according to the will of God for my life. Because I don't know what the will of God always is. Every Christian should strive after it. But we have to confess tonight, isn't there oftentimes ignorance of his will in certain matters? Maybe for a period of time. And we have to be like Ruth and sit still until we see how the matter will fall. And then there also, of course, is ignorance not just of the will of God, but also ignorance of the ways of God. If you turn over there in your Bibles to Romans 11, just over a couple of pages, Paul acknowledges this in verse 33 of chapter 11 of this great book of Romans. He says in Romans 11:33, O the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. It just really brings us back to Isaiah 55 where God says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher and my thoughts are so much higher. I don't believe the Bible calls us. I don't even believe God expects us to know all of his ways. Sometimes the best thing for us to do is just to sit at the Lord's feet and say, Now, Lord, I don't understand your ways. Lord, you're often aiming at a much larger target than the one I'm thinking of. We're sometimes thinking a few feet in front of us, but God is thinking from an eternal perspective. And God's plans are eternal. And there are many times you read about individuals and the Word of God whenever they were confused about the leading of the Lord and the way that God would have them to go. But as Mr. Cooper says in his great hymn, blind unbelief is sure to err, scan his work in vain, God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. We have to concede sometimes with the hymn that we sang earlier, I do not know what lies ahead, the way I cannot see. But one stands near to be my guide, he'll show the way to me. I know who holds the future. He'll guide me with his hand, with God, things don't just happen. Everything by him is planned. So as I face tomorrow with its problems, large or small, I'll trust the God of miracles, give to him my all. I don't believe tonight God expects us to have it all together. But he just wants us to trust him. Even whenever we can't see the way ahead and we don't know what God's doing and we're ignorant of his will and ignorant of his ways, and then we also have to confess, and maybe there's less of excuse for this one, but we have to acknowledge, don't we, that so often we are ignorant of his word. 
And there's so much more for us to learn and glean from the Word of God. There's maybe less of an excuse for this because the Word of God has been given to us in a language that we can understand. And we have the Bible in our hands and we have the Word of God in our own language. And we can read it as often as we care to do. And we can try to apply it to memory. But still we have to concede that the Word of God is inexhaustible And we find it difficult to retain and to recall the Word of God. Do you ever find yourself thinking, what was that that verse that I read just yesterday or just this morning that was such a blessing to me? Do you ever embarrass yourself by saying to a, a Christian friend, I read a wonderful verse this morning and it was and you can't remember the reference, and then you try to quote it, and you misquote it, and it maybe doesn't even sound like a verse of Scripture at all by the time you get to the end of it. Because we don't really know the Word of God the way we ought. And we're still students with Christ in this great school. So verse 26, the first part of the verse, speaks about our problems with supplication. Then the second part of verse 26 speaks to us about the person of the Spirit. The Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but... It's lovely sometimes whenever you read the Word of God and you have this great problem that's presented, and then the word but, and God steps in. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And here we're speaking to believers and we're acknowledging our problems with regards to supplication, but but the Spirit itself help maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is a reference, of course, to the, the Holy Spirit. And as you think about this little phrase, and we're only going to be able to scratch the surface very lightly, the Spirit himself or the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, if the Holy Spirit is praying for us, or maybe we could even go further and say, if the Holy Spirit is praying within us and through us, and He is the Holy Spirit, surely we need, therefore, to consider the majesty of His intercession. Given who he is, what must the prayers of the Holy Spirit be like? The majesty of his intercession. I think there's reference here to the personality of the Holy Spirit. Because in verse number 27, it says, He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Holy Spirit. And that immediately would suggest to us that whenever the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not a mere force or a mere influence. It speaks here about the mind or the thought life of the Holy Spirit or the intellect of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, the Holy Spirit is a very real person. And the Bible uses many personal pronouns, especially in those chapters in John's Gospel from chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15, and 16, where the Savior speaks often about the Holy Spirit. When the Comforter is come, He shall guide you into all truth. 
He shall not speak of himself. He shall testify of me. And the Lord uses personal pronouns to describe the Holy Spirit. And that indicates, therefore, that the Holy Spirit is a person. And he also displays personal characteristics. The mind of the Spirit. Grieving the Spirit. The love of the Spirit. The guidance of the Spirit. And some of the acts of the Holy Spirit, the things that the Holy Spirit does here, tells us that He prays for His people and He prays in His people. So we are being introduced now to the person or the personality of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is a person and He is, therefore, He is knowable. Remember years ago, Dr. or Mr. the Reverend Begg speaking one year at the Easter Convention, it must be about 20 years ago or more, and he made this statement, and it's stayed in my mind ever since. He says, what this denomination of ours needs is to get the doctrine of the Holy Spirit back into our churches and back into our pulpits. Maybe tonight that the Holy Spirit is one of the most neglected people in the church. We talk a lot about Christ, and rightfully so, in all things he is to have the preeminence. Whenever we talk about prayer, we talk about addressing God as our Father and what a privilege that is. But what do we really know on an experimental level of the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives? His personality. But we also are introduced in the Word of God to His, his deity. He's, he's a person, yes, but He's also a divine person. He displays divine attributes. Hebrews 9 and 14 calls him the eternal spirit, without beginning and without end. Psalm 139 indicates that he's everywhere present. He's the omnipresent spirit. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or where shall I flee from thy presence? He's also the omnipotent Holy Spirit. Whenever Mary was talking about conceiving a child in her womb, she said, I shall... How shall this thing be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel said, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. He's almighty. And then divine works are ascribed to him. Job 33 and verse 4 speaks about his work in creation. John 6, 63 talks about the Spirit of God being the giver of life. 2 Peter 1.21 talks about the Holy Spirit inspiring Scripture, which is the Word of God or the Word of the Holy Spirit. It is God, a God-breathed book. And then divine names are given to him as well. In Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira were challenged, thou hast not lied unto God, or not lied unto men, but unto God. Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie unto the Holy Ghost? You've not lied unto men, but you've lied unto God. And the Holy Spirit maketh intercession for us, the majesty of his intercession. But our text also speaks about the manner of his intercession. It is an amazing thing to consider that the Holy Spirit prays for us. But this verse of Scripture also sheds a little bit of light on just how he prays for us. His prayers for us are literal. It says, because he maketh 
intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 26, the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. His prayers are real. One of his titles is the Spirit of Truth. And so we need to accept tonight by faith the fact the Bible reality that the Spirit of God is interceding for us, praying for us. And He really does pray for us. And this again, the fact that He prays is another proof of His personality. The all-knowing Holy Spirit prays within us and He knows our needs. The manner of His praying, His praying is literal. The manner of His intercession, it is continual. The tense of the verb there, the Spirit itself maketh, is giving us the idea that He prays for us continually, not just on occasion, not just once or twice, not just before or at our conversion, but He is ever making intercession for us, ever praying for His people. And He never fails in this regard. We can fail in prayer. Other people pray for us, and that's a wonderful blessing in and of itself to know that there's a brother or there's a sister, and on occasion, maybe regularly, they open their, their Bibles, and they get on their knees, and they get their prayer list out, and they pray for you. Maybe just a sentence or a few words, Lord, remember so-and-so in their time of need, and what a blessing that is to know that there are people who pray for us, but the Spirit of God goes on continuing to make intercession for us without ceasing. His prayer life is entirely consistent. The manner of his intercession, it's literal, it's continual. But you'll notice as well here, it is also mystical. The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. Listen to what it says, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, many of the Pentecostals and the modern charismatics will use this verse of Scripture as a proof text for their practice of speaking in tongues. And they'll utter all of this sort of jargon, and very often it's just single-syllable, monotone noises over and over and over again. And if you say, well, where do you get that in Scripture? They'll say, well, this is praying in tongues. This is the Spirit of God making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And immediately you see there there's a contradiction. Because whenever people pray in tongues, they are praying with groanings which are uttered and verbalized and often are supposed to be interpreted as well. And it immediately contradicts one of the proof texts that they actually use because it says here that whenever the Spirit of God maketh intercession for us, He does it with groanings which cannot be uttered. But the modern tongues movement are groanings which are uttered and sometimes interpreted as well. But the Spirit of God prays in a manner that cannot be articulated or even interpreted by man. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear, the upward glancing of an eye where none but Christ is near. I don't think tonight we can begin to grasp the depth of these words, but I believe they're teaching us this. 
that whenever you get before God in prayer and you feel your infirmity and you feel your ignorance and you acknowledge, Lord, I don't even know how to pray. There are burdens in my heart. There are thoughts in my mind. There are problems that I'm experiencing. I don't want to be irreverent as I pray. I don't want to be filled with unbelief as I pray. But Lord, I don't know how to pray. But you just get before God. The Spirit of God intercedes with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he is able to communicate to our Father in heaven the burdens of our hearts. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, there are things that go on in the realm of prayer that we know absolutely nothing about. Prayer is warfare. I'm reminded of a couple of verses back in Daniel chapter 10. You don't need to look them up, but Daniel 10 verse 12. We read these words. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard. And I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, or Michael the archangel, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. So Daniel has got before God, and you read Daniel's great prayer in Daniel chapter 9, and as Daniel is praying and trying to understand the ways of the Lord, he is praying, he's interceding, he's supplicating, but for 21 days, Daniel is getting no answer, no understanding, because there's something going on in the heavenlies that Daniel has absolutely no concept or consciousness of. And this angel therefore comes and assures Daniel that your prayer has been heard, but we were being withstood in trying to get the answer to you because there are principalities and there are powers and there are spiritual wickednesses in high places. And there's a warfare that goes on whenever we pray. But whenever we feel our weakness and our infirmity and our ignorance, the Spirit of God is taking our prayers and bringing them right into the presence of God. Remarkable things happen whenever God people pray. One last thought, and we're finished. Time is all, all but gone. Verse 27, very, very quickly. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So I'm taking these texts this way. The beginning of verse 26, problems with supplication. Second part of verse 26, the person of the Spirit. Verse 27, the prayers of the Savior. I, I, I take it that verse 27, and I know people have different viewpoints and different ideas, but I, I take it that verse 27 is speaking about Christ himself, who ever liveth to make intercession for us. According to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 25. Some take it to have reference to God the Father, verse 27. Some take it to have reference to God in a, in a general sense. But whatever way you look at it, it's speaking here of the Lord and he that searcheth the hearts. And there's only one tonight that searches the heart and that's our God. God alone sees the heart. 
Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks in the heart. He that searcheth the hearts. And as our Savior searches our hearts, He knows our burdens. He knows our desires. He knows our longings. He knows our problems. He knows our infirmities. He knows our ignorance. He knows our trials. He knows the accusations that the devil brings against us. He knows where you're coming from and what you've been through today. He knows the struggles that you have. Even as the prayer time starts, he searches the hearts. He knows your hearts, even if you cannot articulate the burden of your heart tonight. Peter said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And as Peter said those words, he knows that the one that I'm speaking to sees right into my heart. Lord, you've seen my failure, but Lord, thou knowest all things. <coughs> thou knowest that I love thee. His inspection of our hearts. Notice as well his intuition as to our needs. He knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Whatever way you look at verse 27, whether you take it to be God the Father or God the Son, there is nobody but the Lord who is equipped to know the mind of the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal and co-eternal, three distinct persons, one God forever, in intimate fellowship, and in intimate oneness, intimate communion. As it says in 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So not only does God know our feelings, our desires, our burdens, but He also knows our needs. And so that's why whenever you come to pray publicly, or you come to pray privately, or you come to a prayer meeting, or you enter into your closet, you do not need to know and to inform and to advise God or to feel that you have to articulate your prayers in a certain way in order to be heard, because God searches the hearts and God knows what is the very mind of the Spirit. And all we need to do is come before God with honesty. He desires truth truth in the inward parts. And then there's one last thought as we think about the prayers of the Savior, his inspection of our hearts, his intuition as to our needs, and his intercession on our behalf. He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Some people take that second part of verse 27 to refer back to the Spirit of God. Some people take it to refer to the Lord Jesus Christ and the basis of Hebrews 7.25, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And the Son of God is interceding even now for his people. The Spirit of God prays in us. The Son of God prays for us always according to the will of God for our lives. He is all-knowing and there's no ignorance of the will of God for us. One of the greatest blessings that a Christian has, apart from being saved, is to know that our Savior prays for us. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. Great high priest, his name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Robert Murray McShane made a famous statement many years ago. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. 
the distance doesn't make any difference with God. He prays for me in glory. If we could hear or understand the intercession of the Spirit of God, and if we could hear the prayers of the Son of God on our behalf, and if you want to get a window on them, read sometime John's Gospel, chapter 17. As we think about these verses tonight, the whole Trinity is in view. A Savior at the right hand of the Majesty on high, interceding for us and presenting the merits of His blood before the Father's face, and then God the Holy Spirit praying within us. So don't worry tonight if you feel that you cannot pray right, you're in good company. I don't think any honest Christian could say, I've got the handle on prayer, I've got it nailed, I've got it drilled. Even the Apostle Paul says, I don't know how to pray as I ought, but I'm convinced of this, that the Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Thank you so much tonight for listening.